Attention, please. Eastern Airlines Flight 19, now ready for departure. Welcome aboard the Walt Disney World Express Monorail. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we're entering the vacation kingdom of the world. There's enough land here to hold all of the ideas and plans we could possibly imagine. We call it Epcot. Will be our experimental prototype city of tomorrow. Welcome to another episode of the Retro Disney World Podcast. Taking you back to the vacation kingdom of the world, the way it was, and the way it is in your memories. All right, welcome to another episode of the Retro Disney World Podcast. This is episode 79, Wonders of Life, Part 3, Body Wars and the Making of Me. I'm your host, Todd McCarty, and sitting in with me as always for this episode, coming in from Ohio, Mr. J.T. Kuzier. How are you doing this evening, J.T.? I'm good. How are you, Todd? I can't complain. It's been very busy at work. I'm very tired today, but we're going to get through this. This is going to be another good one. Another episode of World uh, Wonders of Life. Almost That's right. World of Motion, but yeah, right, right <laughs> a couple doors down. And coming in from Tampa, Florida, St. Pete, the, the left coast, shall we call it, Mr. How Bowers. All right. Aloha, Hawaii. How are you, sir? Good, good. I'm ready to go dive into the human body again. Ooh, Body Wars. It's an odd title. We'll get to that later. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and you know, Brian is coming to us from the city of Brotherly Love. Tonight, I actually watched a little travelogue about a, a, a train trip with a British uh, gentleman, Michael Portillo, if anybody know him. And uh, he went to Philadelphia. And I learned uh, a couple things about William Penn and uh, Philadelphia in general and, and one of the cheese steak places. I think he went to Pat's. So, Brian, welcome to the show as always. Um, greetings, salutations, and I'm always happy to give tours of Philadelphia when our friends are in town. So uh, Excellent. You should come and see us sometime, Todd. We've only been talking about it for nine years now. I know. So. <laughs> it's about time. Todd's we father. Todd's father lives like fifteen minutes from me, by the way. So I keep telling him, "Come visit your dad. Come on over." I know. We got it. We got to get that done. So, and tonight we have a very special guest coming in uh, from Grand Rapids, Michigan. Uh, Dr. Bill Ahrens, and he is in a secluded location somewhere in a hospital in an unknown location, but hermetically sealed. Uh, Bill, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Yeah, great to have you here. So, uh, Bill, as you know, you're you're a listener. As you know, we always do our listener mail first. So feel free to jump in uh, anytime. Um, it's generally a free-for-all, and JT likes to play kind of stump the chumps here with uh, with this. Sometimes he doesn't give us a heads up, and we're kind of on our heels trying to figure out. Yeah, his eyes are bugging out. So, uh, <laughs> JT, what do you got for this month? All right. Mailbag is uh, full. I'm expecting Christmas cards soon. So people can start sending those. But uh, first one. So I, you know, we're in a few various Facebook groups. Uh, like we worked at Disney in the seventies collecting Disney stuff. Uh, and there's been a few posts by a gentleman named Bill Jennings. He's an older gentleman and we've had some uh, interactions with him on there. He posts lots of uh artifacts and things he collected when his time at Disney and uh, his son actually reached out to us, Franklin. And he, uh, this is back in February, actually. And he said, Bill's his dad. He's 76 and retired from Disney uh, about 10 years ago. So that'd be about 2012. Bill uh, now works as a school crossing guard and he has no idea how to listen to a podcast. 
so maybe we can get him set up there, Franklin. But uh, he did reach out to us because uh, Franklin and Bill both attended Retro Magic in 2019. Oh, nice. And uh, Franklin uh, also sent me a little correspondence he had with his dad. And uh, he was kind of talking about different things, like as far as uh, uh, the building where they assembled the rooms for the contemporary, you say DC6. He was one of the painters who worked uh, Saturday on overtime to paint the letters DC6 on the building. Hmm. And he also uh, said, if you look uh, in some of these photos, you can see what they they refer to as the funny old truck, which I'll post a picture of this. This is the one that uh, would have drove around Fort Wilderness. It had like the almost looked like a a produce racks on the back of it kind of held stuff. And they drove around and sold you things on the loops. Uh, He said he helped build the body on that trunk. And he even painted the Oak with a spar varnish. And he remembers it coming back to the shop for repair and he repainted the Oak. So uh, we'll we'll show you what uh, picture uh, Bill's talking about what truck. Uh, That's pretty cool though. So, Thanks for sharing, Franklin, and uh, yeah. maybe we, we can get your dad on a future episode, or, or both of you guys even. Uh, you can sit there for tech support, and we'll uh, get some stories out of, out of dad there. We might have to press some vinyl or get him some cassette tapes, uh, you know, the box set of, of the podcast here. If you guess I'm a little iPod with all of our uh, episodes on it for him. Yeah. We, uh, yeah. We, had, we had some nice chats with him at, at uh, Retro Magic back in, uh, when did we have that? April. Right. We had it in April. Was he at April too? He was in April. Bill oh, and Franklin okay. were there in April. And, uh, we chatted a couple of times that day about some of the artifacts we had on display and, uh, his connection to them and things he worked on there. Um, it was really something. Very much so. Okay. Next up, this is from John. John said, happy Epcot 40th gentlemen. And how I'm glad to hear you and your family weathered the storm. Okay. Uh, this is back October 1st. He was reading an article about the opening of Epcot from 1982, and he stumbled across a tidbit in a Washington Post article uh, about a smellitzer, a machine that shoots barnyard odors across your nose as you sail past a 1940s farmhouse in the land pavilion. He's never heard of a smelter being used in Listen to the Land, and my first memories of that ride are from the mid-90s, so he's not sure if that's real or not, and... Uh, were they really pumping out barnyard odors in that ride? Does anybody, Brian, you wrote wrote back. And I believe if, uh, I don't remember what I wrote back, but I'm guessing it was something along the lines of, I doubt the people in the rotating restaurant would have enjoyed the barnyard odors along with their <laughs> breakfast, lunch, or dinner. So I am dubious about this suggestion. Well, I did some research and came across some articles in newspapers uh, that actually said it was that they were going to have smells in that in the land. So I don't know what the and and it was mentioning the barn. So I I don't know. I've never heard of it before. How? Well, I mean, there were certainly trying to remember, you know, that was a long time ago. For me, I mean, the jungle part certainly smelled like jungle and that there were smells throughout the, you know, throughout many of the rides in future world. So it's not entirely out of the question, but I, I so I'm, I will speculate this. Maybe it did open with the smells and perhaps as Brian said, well, I mean, what was barnyard like? Would they really, I don't believe they would have shot the smell of chicken poop out. Right. So, <laughs> so. 
mean, obviously you... in the in the the jungle scene, the, the the rainforest scene, that's a naturally occurring musty smell. That yeah, you got the plants the and the wet there. and all that. Yeah. If yeah. if you recall in the desert scene, they used to have that heat fan that would run. Right. Uh, that was legitimate heat you were feeling, which would lend a smell whether there was an intention or not. Um, you know, the barnyard scene as you're sailing right by the, the restaurant, I'm just not sure, you know, it could have been grass or something like that, which would have been a natural smell. But yes, I don't I don't think it would have been cattle emissions or anything like that. <laughs> well, as we learned on our spaceship Earth tour. There's a good chance if it was there, the smelter could still be have a big hole in there or something, you know, where it was. Yeah. That's, so if somebody wants to go digging around in that barn, yeah, somebody just hop, hop out of your boat. They don't have the <laughs> attendance anymore yeah. and dig around that scene. Pet the dog. You know, that is for a that big is, hole in the wall that, that where this thing would have been. Right. Yeah. That is one of the few attractions that there hasn't been a lot of like documentation that's leaked out mm. so, so far. Most of the other ones, I think have been pretty well I, I think imagination and the land are probably the two that we haven't seen a lot of extensive documentation like hit the the internet for study so someday we will probably get a diagram and see exactly where the smelter was if it if it was there and maybe what scent it had so i'm looking forward to that the future thank you john for that uh question and note Next up is Scott Jensen. This one is uh, hot off the press today. Scott just emailed us because in our last episode or one of the recent ones, we uh, we brought up guests and uh, listeners that have appeared in pictorial souvenirs and videos and things. And yes. uh, Scott was in a video. He was on a must do Stacy uh, Stacy seven things to do video. <laughs> okay. And uh, we'll, we'll share the link here. So Scott, he said the story, his daughters are sitting in the, uh, separate rooms of the pop century you know family vacation i assume two rooms next to each other that type of thing and they texted him and said we just saw you on tv uh riding in the haunted mansion he had no idea what they were talking about is uh the filming was done years ago so he waited you know he had to wait get through all seven things and then the disney visa ad then the vacation club with the mom with the casserole the whole thing and then he finally got around to it and uh there he was riding by in a doom buggy in the haunted mansion. And uh, he said, it's amazing. And the coolest thing, because he never, they never told him what they were going to do with the footage. So I assume, uh, you know, he knew they were filming because it was really bright too. If you watch this, it's like very well lit the scene where he rolls by. Uh, but uh, I think that's great. And that's probably, I don't think that's aired anymore. Stacy's now gone. Isn't she? Stacy has retired from that uh, that role. Okay, so this is now uh, in history, and we'll post the link if you have a better copy of this. This is a rough copy. Somebody's like Nokia phone when camera phones first came out, filming the TV screen. It's not that great. Uh, definitely share it with us. But thank you, Scott. Uh, we're as as How said last episode. Uh, we're still looking for more people that were featured on things. I think it's hilarious this connection we've we've got. This is now the third person that listens to the show that's been in a promo uh, Disney World. So, you think they were uh, pointing at the hippo in this one? <laughs> it was so fast. This was a very <laughs> late '90s, like cut, cut, cut. Like you know, it was not a you know, it was very uh, extreme angle type right. thing. It looks like it. 
it's also the second instance where a kid caught it and had to tell the adult, hey, you're in this. Yeah, that's true. That's, yeah. It had beat it, punk. That's the Yeah, that's <laughs> sure, kid. <laughs> well, now if this happens, I mean the amount of things you're trying to plan as a parent is like good luck even having the time to do it. I'm getting genie plus. Leave me alone. I can't <laughs> even take a minute to watch the TV. <laughs> All right, last one here, and this is, uh, I'm going to see if we can stump you guys or we know we can get a listener out there. Uh, this is from Jim Collins. Uh, Jim Collins uh, is very curious if we have any information of a potential time capsule at the Boardwalk Resort. He is asking uh, former opening crew members, uh, you know, I I'd never heard of this one, and I'm not really sure if it exists, if it's somewhere on property. I mean, the property's bigger than you think, and it could be somewhere else, like in a garden somewhere. But who even knows? I don't know. I remember talking about one in the yacht club, but just not the beach club. I mean, I mean, sorry, not not boardwalk. There's one at the yacht club. That's what I remember and thought we were talking about. Um, I swear that I swear it was. Now I just heard a story, and this is unrelated, but uh, it is they. You know, the Nickelodeon Studios time capsule at Universal Studios. Well, when they closed Nickelodeon Studios, they moved it over to the Nickelodeon Hotel. And the latest I heard was when they closed the Nickelodeon Hotel, nobody thought to dig up the time capsule and nobody knows where it is now. It's just gone forever. Hmm. So, yeah, that's, oh, man. That's, Oops. that's the legend I heard. But I don't it's know. Probably, it's probably just full of slime anyway. That it did look like it. Yeah, it had that like glowing goo look like Ghostbusters too, but green instead of pink. All right. Well, if we hear anything about the uh boardwalk time caps, what would be in it? When did boardwalk open? Uh 96, 94, 95. I'm uh I think it was 96. I think we covered that in our um in the article in the episode where we talked about crescent lake and uh it's the late you know that it was the last thing there as they opened yacht beach and the swan dolphin and then for years the you would go by the billboard the painted billboard in the tram that said the, the boardwalk coming soon i think it opened in 95 if my memory serves correct from that episode but what if they put 95 artifacts hmm. in there like boardwalky things from the construction i don't even yeah, know what I'm, they would do okay you know, so odd, oddly enough i just ran across some documentation of this Whoa. Okay. So the resort opened on July 1st, 1996. And it oh. says this page says the crystal globe at the bottom of the hippocampus electrolier chandelier is a time capsule scheduled for opening during the 50th anniversary celebration. So I guess the ball on the bottom of this, sh the big chandelier at the resort that has carousel animals on it. Yeah. It's like this 3000 pound chandelier. Apparently oh, the did. ball, the ball at the bottom is the, is the time capsule and they were supposed to open it this year. Oh, well, he mentioned the chandelier. Okay. I see what okay. his email means now. It referred to the crystal chandelier hanging when we opened the resort that was split open and they created a time capsule. Hmm. I see. Okay. So it was did just they? Because they did the contemporaries, right? Well, they only did the contemporaries after like a bunch of people said, Hey, there's a time. time capsule yeah. 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 Uh, they're about to ruin that resort, uh, aka renovate it. So, uh, I'm wait, know, which one? The boardwalk, the boardwalk. Yeah, they're about to, you know, they they already did the Bellevue Lounge and a couple of other things, but there are plans to 
you know, completely redo the lobby and everything else and probably make it look like a Hilton. But uh, <laughs> the, 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 you know, it, it might be maybe this podcast will bring it to the right. boardwalk's attention. That Oh, and here's another right. update. Okay. So on Jim Corcus, Disney historian, he's, he's got an article about the boardwalk and he says that time the time capsule was supposed to be filled with sand and artifacts or it was it was filmed or filmed it was filled with um with sand and a time capsule to be opened on the 50th anniversary but the globe developed a leak or fell and cracked depending on who tells the story and the sand of the time capsule were removed and supposedly in safekeeping somewhere like sands through the hourglass so is the time <laughs> capsule of the boardwalk why sand because the because it's ocean. a beach the yeah, boardwalk I feel like that wouldn't be good for the artifact. Maybe it would be good I for was, the artifact. I was going to suggest that somebody just take a big stick and turn a pinata like loose. <laughs> now there. there you go. That's a good idea. Now, now we found it. It's been removed and it's in a box somewhere. And so, so we need two things. First off, somebody that's at the boardwalk ha- or near there has to be listening to this episode in the next month or so. I want to see what what is currently hanging on this chandelier, and then you need to go bug the the guest or the cast member at the uh, the front desk and say, "Hey, where's the time capsule? We want to open this thing." That would be amazing. Boy, very interesting. These time capsules—they're popping up all over. It seems it's one of those things that sounds like a great idea until it's <sighs> it's you know what? It's an interesting idea. I mean, if you remember at the contemporary when they opened it, they had chronicled everything they put in it to begin with so there were like videos of everything they had put in there <laughs> yeah. to begin with so what's the what's the big excitement yeah. when you open it and when they there. opened it it was a bunch of maps and stuff that like there's a bajillion of them on ebay like there wasn't 25 years is i mean i have things in drawers here that are 25 years old that yeah yeah so i mean a time capsule is interesting when it's like a hundred years and there's predictions really, of the future and books you know, and, or just yeah. artifacts of things that you're like wow what's this you know and where was the one they had they put a car under there and they didn't know in the future if there was going to be gas and oil so they put like an oil can in there and like a gallon of gas to run the car i do have a vague recollection and the whole car was rotted out yeah (laughs) that's great it's like somebody really put a lot of thought into this and somebody really was like it's saying oh leak i know it and then it just they opened up some mess that's funny. So I'm, I'm looking at a picture of the chandelier and there's still a glass ball that is hanging off of it and it is dead empty. So huh. where's it at? Like the right in the main lobby? Uh, I can't tell from this photo, but I guess so. I'll tell you, when you think you run out of stuff to do at Disney, now I need to get over to that boardwalk and see this ball before they. There you go. See what see what you can find. Uh, the car you're talking about, by the way, JT, is the Miss Belvedere. It was a 1957 Plymouth Belvedere sealed in an underground vault on the grounds of the Tulsa City Courthouse <laughs> as a 50-year time capsule. Uh, it was unearthed in 2007 during the state's uh, centennial celebration and unveiled the next day. Uh, wasn't it a mess right i mean it was it it, uh, was advertised having built to withstand a nuclear attack however the vault was breached by long-term water intrusion that submerged the entire vehicle causing significant (laughs) cosmetic and structural damage (laughs) efforts were made to stabilize her condition including suspension repairs 
with the hopes of placing her in a museum. After years of being stored, it was accepted by the Historic Auto Attractions Museum in Roscoe, Illinois, and shipped in June 2017. And they basically uh, just stored a, a car in like a, a flood simulation. Basic, well, it was, yeah, it was like Luke Skywalker in that uh, <laughs> the, the tank the of water bath, when he was bath yeah. tank or whatever yeah, they the, say. Yes, that's. <laughs> They probably thought it was just so great, and then just you know, year five was just fully submerged. There, there, uh, there are videos of the raising of the buried Plymouth on YouTube. So, gosh, now I want a list uh, of all the time capsules on Disney property. Do, do you think we've hit them all? Well, Got to be close, <laughs> but yeah, who I mean, knows? There could be some that we just have no idea about either. Now I know what we need to do with the next retro magic. We need to do a time capsule. <laughs> Where are we going to bury it? in our in our archive <laughs> it's it's <laughs> at least we know it won't get waterlogged we've got a key to it <laughs> it's in a conditioned space great you're all set oh. all right well that's going to close the mailbag thanks everybody for who wrote us in this month uh jim will keep an eye on that uh time capsule for you if we get any updates we'll let you know but if you'd like to send us a note uh anything for us to talk about podcast at retro wdw.com we will try to get back to you on any message you send and there is a chance your letter will end up on a future episode all right well thank you very much jt for that going through the mailbag and it's hard to believe you mentioned holiday cards boy they're going to be coming fast and furious so oh yeah on to this month's main topic and it's amazing that we are in episode three of wonders of life there is so much to unpack in this very large small but very large pavilion uh so those of you have listened episode one was all about the uh history behind the creation of the pavilion and the thought behind it uh in the second episode uh for wonders of life we walked through the pavilion discussed the dome and the arch as well as uh, all the different uh, little small exhibits you could do inside and feel and touch and sensory things. And tonight we're going to go on to uh, a, a theater that was inside the pavilion called The Baking of Me uh, with Martin Short. And then we're also going to go into the depths of Body Wars. And I got a lot to say about that because I was excited to go on it years and years ago. But how, just as you've been doing for the past couple episodes, I'm going to turn it over to you, our fearless wonders of life leader so uh you are the commander again in chief of, of this episode so take it away yes and i i want to say one of the reasons besides why dr bill's here besides being a donor is that being a medical doctor he's mm-hmm. going to uh to talk us through some of the real medicine and the real science behind this uh, behind this attraction, and he's we had a pre call and we had a ton of fun talking about the possibilities of what was kind of real and not real. So he's he's going to be jumping in and and uh, giving his thoughts and and on tidbits and some of the terminology that was used and 
the reality of like, I'm so excited. I didn't even connect the two till this very moment. Till you said that why he's here and he's sitting at a hospital. And look at this. This is amazing. See all the syringes behind him, JT. He's going to show us exactly how it works. He's got a really big one too. Is he shrunk? (laughs) I I do have to say. So I first experienced Wonders of Life and Body Wars as like a 15 year old kid, and uh, it was. It's hard to. It's hard to look at it as an adult now and and objectively because. Um, as as we'll find out, they definitely took some liberties with a lot of things in terms of scale, um, but uh, it's still it was still darn entertaining. Oh, have I can't wait to get in the scale. That's going to be great. Have you been to the Sci-Fi Dine-In, Doctor Bill? Yeah, I actually just ate there uh, last month. We, okay. my son and I, my son and I were down there, and we uh, had a front row seat. This may not be real medical question or not. Is there any truth to that guy that keeps growing and they've got that big <laughs> syringe and they're trying to, and he goes, I can't stop growing. And then they... uh, well, it's about as accurate as, as body wars, I would say. <laughs> okay. okay. All right. Let's, on with the show. <laughs> moving on. They're, moving on. They're only trying to help them, JT. I, <laughs> I love when they run up with that full speed, yeah. two full grown men. <laughs> And then he picks it up and he throws it. And it yeah, just like a like a lard. Like it just pierces like a dart. Yeah, the guy um, <laughs> impales him. Oh goodness. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think his I think his issue was nuclear in nature. I think that's oh, why he, he was exposed yeah. to radiation. And they, every clip there had something to do with radiation. Yeah, yeah that's true. It was the 50s. That was a big thing. All right. So uh, on the first episode in the series on the Life and Health Pavilion, we discussed Rolly Crump assigning Imagineer Frank Armitage to concept to design and attraction. That was the spiritual successor to Disneyland's adventure through inner space. And instead of an Omnimover through the microscopic world of the atom, it would be a trip through the human body with full-scale sets replicating human organs, you know, like the heart and lungs. So uh, about a decade after the Life and Health Pavilion was abandoned and reborn as Wonders of Life, um, this concept of an attraction taking guests through the human body was was revived. Um, But this time they decided they would use the same flight simulator technology that made Star Tours at Disneyland hit in 1987. And during the opening, uh, Marty Sklarwood explained that the technology needed to make full-scale moving sets depicting organs and lungs was impractical, and that the 70 millimeter film motion base of the Advanced Technology Laser Application Simulator that they developed with Red Fusion Simulation in England finally made this kind of attraction practical to produce. Disney selected Leonard Nimoy to direct the live action portion of the film in the pre-shows. Uh, and we we were talking about this a little a little while ago, and we, we think it was probably due to his box office successes directing Star Trek for The Voyage Home in 1986, and then Three Men and a Baby for the Disney-owned Touchstone Pictures in 1987, which was actually the highest grossing film for that year. Um, and rightfully so. Yes. Uh, and in addition, Nimoy's experience with the Star Trek franchise was considered a valuable asset as the attraction would be set in a futuristic organization with a very similar style to Star Trek's Starfleet as seen in the 1980s films. Like even the costumes were kind of reminiscent with like the red jackets looked a lot like the the Star Trek films. So um, the idea of shrinking down people and sending them to the human body was was pretty well known to the public in 1989. Uh, In 1987, uh, the movie Inner Space, produced by Steven Spielberg and directed by Joe Dante, uh, was an entertaining comedic farce in which a down-on-his-luck Navy pilot, played by Dennis Quaid, piloted a miniature submarine accidentally injected into the body of a neurotic grocery clerk, played by Martin Short. Test pilot Tuck Pendleton wants to make history. Supermarket clerk Jack Putter 
needs a vacation. Jack, Sir, I'm Jack, sorry. you're late. That's not good. You know it's coupon day. Lieutenant Pendleton is about to be miniaturized, placed into this needle, and then injected into this rabbit. Rock and roll. But something went wrong. And Tuck's about to get a new destination. <gasps> Inside Jack Putter. I'm in a man. Hello, can you hear me? I'm possessed! Now, Jack's got twice the problems. How you doing, Jack? But he's double the man. <laughs> with Tuck on his side. Can you more cows? <laughs> in his gut. <laughs> on his case. You're not gonna back groceries all your life, are you, Jack? And only 24 hours left for Jack to get out of danger so that Tuck can get out of Jack. <laughs> Dennis Quaid, Martin Short. Give yourself a shot of adventure. Inner space. But that was a fantastic movie. I, I don't care what people say. It is underrated, and I loved it growing up. And I know, Brian, you've seen it. it we yeah, talked we, about it. We've talked about it on, on here. And uh, Meg Ryan, Dennis Quaid, uh, great film. Great film. A lot yeah. of fun. Bill, I, Bill, I, does the doctor have any comments on the validity of that? <laughs> you know, I haven't. I, I remember seeing it that summer, and I the thing that sticks with me is how they they tapped into the auditory nerve with some sort of device so that he could hear Right. I just remember it being like a harpoon, and I remember that being yes, dis yes, disturbing to me. So, <laughs> well, it was disturbing to Martin Short too, as he yeah. rides in pain when they did it. Ah! Yeah, and isn't it funny that Martin Short will now end up like in a, a film adjunct to another <laughs> film about shrieking down? It's just this weird set of coincidences. Um, I found out doing research that that film did not make a lot of money. I think it cost him like 60 million to make it. It only took 40 million at the box office, but oh, wow. it was, it was the number one movie on VHS when it was released. So it ended up doing a great business on VHS and it kind of saved it. But at the time, um, Joe Dante said he was really disappointed that the movie didn't do better at the box office. And he was afraid oh, I'll never get to do another like big movie now. Cause that like tanked me. But no, we did, we did just fine. Um, so um, George Lucas's company, Industrial Light and Magic, which created the ride film for Star Wars, also won an Academy Award for their work in Interspace. So it's not surprising that they were chosen to create the ride film portion of Body Wars. And we'll talk more about that kind of on the backside of our episode. So the true inspiration for Body Wars is the film Fantastic Voyage, which was released in 1966 by 20th Century Fox. Um, that was actually, there's a big Disney connection with that that film. It was actually directed by 20,000 Leagues Under the Seas uh, director Richard Fleischer and with production design by 20,000 Leagues Under the Seas Nautilus designer and Disney legend Harper Goff. So there's a real big connection there. Um, that film followed the adventures of a CIA agent named Charles Grant, who was portrayed by actor Stephen Boyd who was in charge of protecting a Soviet scientist who's been injured in an assassination attempt and now suffers from a brain clot that can only be surgically cleared from inside his body. So uh, Grant has to lead a surgical team from a secret organization, CMDF, the Combined Miniature Deterrent Forces, to remove the clot in less than 60 minutes, which is the length of time that the group can stay miniaturized before returning to normal size, after which they'll be attacked by the body's immune system or potentially uh, and potentially kill the 
infecting scientist who holds the knowledge about how to stay miniaturized indefinitely. So um, basically what happens is they get shrunk down, they get sucked up into a, into a syringe, they're injected into the patient's body, and then while traveling through the bloodstream, they're pulled into a terror in the artery and have to make their way through the heart uh, with the doctors on the outside putting the patient into cardiac arrest so the submarine is destroyed by the pressure within the beating heart. So that's an interesting difference between body wars and that. Um, the ship's communication system mysteriously malfunctions, uh, but the scientists can track the submarine's nuclear engines remotely so they kind of have an idea where it is. Now, it's interesting. There's like a series of things that kind of go wrong, which ends up being something somewhat like body wars. So they, they discover a leak uh, in the ship, and then the crew has to make their way into the lungs to replenish the ship's oxygen supply. Um, there is uh, an accident, and the ship makes its way into the inner ear, where a crew member played by Raquel Welch is attacked by antibodies and must be rescued by the crew who have to pull them off of her wetsuit. Uh, with their bare hands when they get her back inside of the sub. Uh, and then finally, the crew reaches the brain with only six minutes remaining before they deminiaturize. So while the doctors use a laser to destroy the blood clot, the saboteur is revealed, played by Donald Pleasance, who you may know as Blofeld in the Sean Connery James Bond films. Uh, he tries to ram the sub into the narrow-paired clot to kill the scientists once and for all, but he's thwarted by Grant, who lasers the ship, which crashes harmlessly in a different part of the brain. Like, I guess that would be harmless. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, and the and the re remaining crew escapes through the patient's tear duct with only moments to spare. And the reason I mention this is because on Body Wars, we follow a nearly identical route through the body in a very similar sub, have to save a female scientist from being attacked by a white blood cell, and extract a needed resource from the body in order to survive and complete the mission. So if I'm not saying Body Wars was a ripoff of Fantastic Voyage, but I'm not saying it wasn't a ripoff of Fantastic Voyage. It's certainly inspired by it. Particle reduction technician Harris. That's particle reduction technician Harris. Please contact bay number one. So, um, so let's kind of set the stage. Our story is set sometime around the year 2068. Matt miniaturized exploration technologies has developed a series of probes that can be shrunk down to the size of a single blood cell to explore the body. Their latest model, the 26-ton LGS-250, can carry a pilot and up to 40 passengers to be beamed into a volunteer to observe the inner workings of their body. Attention, all personnel planning to explore the tympanic membrane, please report to briefing room 117. They had a little like back, backlit display outside if you waited in the extended queue which you probably did when the attraction first opened because the lines for this thing were humongous. And it had this little timeline of like, first they put in an unmanned one and then they put in like a larger unmanned one and it went to this part of the body. And then they did a, a, like one with two, two pilots. And then finally, after the, it was perfected, they could do a version where tourists could go and experience this as well. Attention, 
Miniaturization of Probe Sierra 657, now commencing in Bay 3. We have miniaturization and successful entry into the occipital frontalis muscle. Um, so we get into line, uh, and the first thing we do is go through two dermatopic purification screens. Attention all observation team members. Before entering a body probe vehicle, you must pass through a level one and level two Dermatopic purification screen. Thank you. So, I'm going how, to ask. How these look very much like a Star Tours line. Just yeah, it's very much. There was a lot reused here, and I noticed as a kid when I was going up, I was just like, "Huh, this looks like the great and things behind us," you know. <laughs> so I'm going to ask what dermatopic is because I think that's a legitimate question. I suppose they're just saying you're there cleaning all the microbes off you, um, you know, the surface of you. Right. Because we'd, <laughs> we'd want to be clean before we yeah. get shrunk down and go inside, right? Um, Absolutely. Yeah. So there were two that you'd walk through. The first was the level one, and it would shine this blue light on you that would kind of travel up and down the sides of the of the walls and on an arch above your head, and it made kind of this neat sound. And then uh, the level two scan was this pulsing red lights. So I guess those things like cleaned you off before you could go in. Uh, so once our skin's clear, we go a little deeper into the queue and we get to watch some pre-show videos, which really helped to set up the story. Hello everyone, I'm your mission control officer. Around me, you see just a small part of the enormous team that is required to bring about a successful miniaturization. While every mission has its special challenges, this group is dedicated to making each voyage a safe and productive one. We meet the mission commander, who is played by actor Deacon Matthews, uh, who was a very busy television uh, actor who eventually got to play uh, Admiral Patterson on an episode of Star Trek Voyager. Uh, and, and he tells us that by the way of a highly sophisticated and ingenious process, not only will your ship be miniaturized, but it'll be beamed below the skin of a volunteer so that you're able to view the inner workings of the human body. Um, he says that during this time, the ship will remain much smaller than the point of a pin and weigh less than a drop of water. Wow. And then when the, and when the mission is over, we'll be returned to the full size at the same exact coordinates that it was miniaturized. So I, I presumably they get rid of the whole, we have to put you in a syringe and inject you by introducing some kind of beaming transporter along with the miniaturization process, which saves saves time. Ladies and gentlemen, your Probe Bravo 229er is being prepared. I'll be seeing you before you board with some specifics about your mission. Just zipping you down there. Now, how was there any, I can't remember. We've talked about this before, how this, in, in amusement park rides, it's always, we need you as volunteers to get on this ship. Right. We've talked about this. Like, why would you send 75 unaccredited people, not doctors like Dr. William, you know, here? We just let, let's just send you into an unknown. And by the way, you're going to help us do something that nobody else can do. Yeah. Well, there's always a there's a series of tropes of like yeah. why you're somewhere. It's like it's either you're on tour. Yeah. You know, so that's the star tours body wars harry potter it's like you know you're you're cleared as a tourist to be able to experience this Such and then something goes experience <laughs> and then something goes horribly wrong yeah everything uh, has to go wrong although yeah pandora flight it's not too wrong right there's nothing it's just 
No, actually, that's one of the few things where they don't do a like something goes bad. That was yeah. kind of intended. But the I, I think the idea was that uh, we were we were on a very low level mission on this one. You'll be assigned to a routine mission in the subskin region, a relatively safe area in the body. Don't worry, there will be plenty for you to see. Yeah, Just, it, was, you know, it was a splinter. Yeah. <laughs> So this this should have been a very boring, you know, like a hey need be. I mean, what the the insurance ramifications of this? Absolutely, I cannot imagine what the insurance must have been like for. No for it, the, the indemnity <laughs> if like something went wrong, and you know, forty people were were killed. It was like, but you know, it's it's a future you don't worry about. I noticed that these people, they look very Star Trekky to me. Very. Maroon, mm-hmm. the, 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 the button-down outfit, the whole thing. Yeah, it was extremely, in, the look and feel was certainly extremely influenced by Star Trek and Starfleet and, uh, and the, the look of the films at that time, uh, for sure. I mean, I, th- I think that's, you know, we talked a lot, we talk a bit about audio and visual shorthands that are used to get audiences kind of familiar what's going on since you very briefly get to see these things. And, I, you know, much like Mission Space was like, they sucked as much stuff as they could from the Mission to Mars movie to make it look, you know, spacey. They, you know, borrowed liberally from Star Trek uh, in order to give you an idea that this is futuristic like as, as much as they could. And this is that era, too, when they started. I mean, you're wasting 10 minutes or so just watching gobbledygook to, to, before you get on the ride. <laughs> it did. Well, it was a very long line, so it gave you, it gave you something to do. Oh, yeah, I love it. Yeah. It's, you it's know, very, it reminds me you're... of uh, Lieutenant Dan here. You know, the, if you hear right. the words go for launch, you're going to want to hang on. <laughs> yep. Cellular compression unit engaged. Three, two, one. We get to see a live feed of another probe, Charlie 218, that shrunk down and penetrates the, I'm going to kill this, the subcutaneous epidermal tear. We've just received confirmation that probe and crew have penetrated the subcutaneous epidermal tear. Sounds like a skin layer, huh, doctor? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. you got the epidermis, the dermis, and then the subcutaneous tissue, so. We are now under the skin. Oh, all right, all right. Is this the um, guy they lay on the table and they they show you? It looks like they they lay a guy on a, a hospital yeah, table. He's very he's very smiley for about to have people beamed into him. <laughs> well, yeah, it looks like a James Bond laser on there. It's... <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, your Pro Bravo two two er is being prepared. I'll be seeing you before you board with some specifics about your mission. Uh, so then after a brief. A boarding safety video, we see someone who looks remarkably like Dr. Wayne Zielinski take a seat and put his magnifying helmet uh, under the seat in the stowage area. On this video, they do, so on Star Tours, everybody knows, they'd show the video where Ewoks are coming in, Greedo, everybody's walking onto the, you know, the, the spaceship. Well, this one, it's a load of medical professionals with stethoscopes and, and jackets and stuff, and then there is one, looks like one girl with a full-on figment hat following the doctor in there so it's like a little bit of everybody coming and then of course buckles on your left they show you how to do it doctor can you confirm or deny whether or not figment appears any place in the or the er or anywhere in the hospital does um, it is it 
Um, only in only in my office. I have them in my office. Oh, fair. <laughs> See, still there. Please begin immediate boarding and have a safe and informative journey. Uh, we be Dr. Lair, played by Elizabeth Shue from Adventures in Babysitting and the Back to the Future sequels. She has already been shrunk and placed inside a patient, and I guess she's got, like, FaceTime because she's able to talk to us from inside the body. Uh, and she tells us that she's there to study the inflammatory response of the neurophils as they react to invading bacteria. So it's actually neutrophils, I think. Yeah. Oh, neutrophils. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. So just a, a type of white blood cell that, that particularly targets bacteria. And I think the, the mission control guy's like, can you tell us that in English? Something like that. And she says, <laughs> I'm here to observe the speed and effectiveness of the white blood cells as they rush to protect the body from infection. Uh, and then we're introduced to our pilot, Captain Braddock, who's played by Tim Matheson. Um, it's he, just it, to me. It's just it's Otter. Otter's driving your your, your vehicle. <laughs> uh, see now, I know him from as being Johnny Quest in the animated Johnny Quest cartoons in the nineteen um, seventies, late sixties, early seventies. That played when I was you know a lad. Um, but Brian probably knows him better as Vice President John Hoynes on the West Wing. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, in Animal House. I'm I'm more upset that when you were giving Elizabeth Shue's filmography, you skipped Karate Kid and Cobra Kai. Like, oh, I, she, she was the love interest, and in, yeah, she was the love interest, and in, and you know, like you just skipped that. That's I I never saw the Karate Kid. Like I'm aware of what it is, but I just have never. You seen have two Karate Kids in your house. What do you mean you've never <laughs> yeah. seen Karate? Kid? You, you're telling me that they like never did the crane. They never swept the leg on you. Sweep the leg. You have a problem with that? No sensei. No mercy. They do the crane, and I've heard sweep the leg so many times that as like, how you're I'm missing like, out. These kids could be waxing your car, working on your <laughs> deck, putting a new new fence up. I mean, yeah. Show me. Now show me wax on, wax off. Show me paint a fence, up, down. Show me paint a house, side, side. And put job it, did you put it on then. the weekend movie list for the for the Bowers family. All right, uh, and then uh, we finally move to the into the miniaturization room. Uh, where our body probe Bravo 29er, uh, Bravo 229er, uh, is shot with the particle reducer and beamed in the body at a depth of 200 microns. Begin initial reduction sequence. Reduction sequence begun. We're now approaching the miniaturization room where the technicians will focus a particle beam on our ship. Particle reducer engaged. Roger. Entry depth set at 200 microns. Bravo 229er, begin reduction mode now. Three, two, one. Hold on, everybody. Control, this is Bravo 229er. We're under the skin. Everything looks fine. Roger. So uh, 200 microns, how, how deep are we talking in the skin there? still pretty superficial you know um like and i think i sort of alluded to that when we, we spoke on the phone that i think maybe that's where some of the scale 
begins to fall apart too because some of these cells are you know 10 microns so you're stacking cells i i just it just seems a little bit off to me all right because when we when we get in there it looks like this absolutely enormous space like under the skin of the finger with this yeah. giant wooden shard piercing the top of the room with like where the right. splinter is what, what yeah. number what number are we looking for doctor what, what should they have said gosh it's 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 hard to know honestly I, I i i would only be guessing but i mean i think i think the bottom line is that you know body wars is to travel through the human body as star tours is to travel through space i mean they they will kind of showed you what they thought you wanted to see or what you expected to see because i thought the same thing you've got this what looks like a roof above and then there's this huge open space like a big warehouse and you know blood vessels <laughs> coursing through and a few cells passing by so it you know obviously that you have to be able to see what's in front of you but it just it, it, it doesn't pass the eye test <laughs> yeah i know one of the things we talked about too is how remarkably bright it is inside the human body right right it's like just, everything's lit right somehow when i guess since i mean i would assume there'd be a little bit of light that would probably get through the couple of top layers of skin but the body would be pitch dark inside like yeah. i figured it'd be more uh, more bloody you know more of a red hue to everything than or a, you know blue or whatever it is i don't know did they were they assuming that they were shining lights from the outside on this splinter and you know they know. didn't re now in inner space they really did that actually they had you know lighting on the ship that would light it up as it traveled but right they, no they didn't do that in body wars it was no what i'm saying is this, this almost seems like you know when the guy's about to get the injection of us so to speak you know there's all these lights on the outside of him were they trying to light the inside of the body you know like when you put oh put your, i see i see you know when you put you put your hand up to a, to a flashlight right and, you know right. it lights up but that, that's the impression i got as a kid watching like oh there's there's this external light source. I got a kick out of it. I always thought it was awesome to see this splinter. Like, Ugh, that's what a splinter looks like, magnified, you know. Right. I wonder if it does. I wonder if that was even accurate. But we got to get a microscope. Anybody have one handy? Doctor? Do you... We need <laughs> nothing handy. We need, okay. We need to find, actually, uh, somewhere there must be an electron microscope, like, photograph of a splinter. We'll have to see if we can yeah. hunt that down somewhere. Um, so uh, we follow some light pod cells. Uh, as we said, uh, to a closer position to Dr. Lair, and she's taking a few more last-minute readings before we, we get her and pull her into the ship. There sure is a lot of activity out there. Dr. Lair, we're experiencing some turbulence. I advise you to come aboard immediately. In a minute, Captain. I need to take one more cell count. Roger, we're standing by. As we swing around to make the final approach, a piece of the splinter breaks off, and dislodges and pulls her down deeper into the finger and we're gathering a lot of valuable information here i hope that mayday dr lair are you okay mayday i'm being pulled into a capillary hang on i'm coming to get you i guess my question is does gravity work that way in a dense fluid because i'm assuming we're floating in this fluid right so on a microscopic level could a piece actually just like drop like that you wouldn't think so yeah she also gets sucked We're, into something doesn't she she does she, gets, she gets into a capillary yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. so like she's maybe she's hanging on and then it it breaks loose because of the the suction 
Possibly, yeah. Can capillaries she... do that? I, you know, I, I, I think there's a lot of uh, a lot of fake science in this in this attraction. But... <laughs> so that's a no. I would think not. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and you're right, JD. She gets sucked into a capillary. From the capillary, she goes into a vein, and that vein leads into the heart's right ventricle. I'm being pulled toward the heart. Braddock, watch your pressure. Your ship could be crushed. Right behind you. I'm getting well, the impression here with the doctor's assistance that Body Wars without the stretch of truth would have been like, well, we're in this black space and we can't see anything and we're not moving. Well, right. show's over. Well, some of this information is kind of hard to find. Like we when we spoke earlier, we kind of thought, like, how how quick would this happen? Getting from the splinter to the heart. And as as best I could tell, they they estimate that a red like a cell would move about three feet per second through wow. the human body. So, you know, when I rewatched the video, you know, it, it does happen pretty quick. So, I mean, unlike Fantastic Voyage, where it's sort of like a lazy river ride through the human body, this was somewhat accurate in that, you know, she's she's in the heart fairly quickly. So that's, so see, there's a little, a little something going on there. Um, so while they're in the heart, the ship loses a fuel cell in the turbulence and your power is reduced by half. And that can't be good. Our instruments show you down to half power. I know, we lost a fuel cell. Gotta get out on the next beat. You're heading for the lungs, Captain. Air current's extremely hazardous. There's a little gauge, like, so on Star Tours, there's, um, you know, that vertical uh, television set where C-3PO is now, where you can kind of see his face as he's talking. Well, that's, that's where Captain Braddock would be. And underneath it, there was like a little gauge that would tell you how much uh, power was left in the fuel cell. Because this oh, is, they keep yeah. updating this to show it going lower and lower as the attraction goes on to make it seem, you know, more scary and critical that you're you're almost out of power. They really push this idea of like you're you're running out of juice because once you run out of power, it's like they can't pull you out anymore. So it's really <laughs> well. You know what's funny about this is that there are scenes in Star Star Tours where you know you come out and and you're 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 hitting hard, you're hitting gravity, you're bumping into things. This, um, I remember my wife did not want to go on it the first time. She goes, yeah, she did start to, she wasn't thrilled about it. She goes, I'm not going to sit there and kind of like, you know, float around because everything was a soft hit or a soft, I mean, it was still jarring at times. Um, especially I think when we go through some point and they flash all the strobes and stuff, the nerves or something. But anyway, but when you're not, when they give you those break or those rest periods between the events, they had this constant motion of loading and oozing through this space that it wasn't as you know what i mean it, it was a little sick it was it was very sloshy yeah yeah sloshy. And, that's a great word for you yeah. yeah and um that that was actually as we get there we'll talk about like the worst spot in this and how it was edited because uh people were getting sick uh, they were definitely showing us the inside of their bodies yeah really we edited somebody they changed this this was this was actually altered a few months into the attractions opening up. Yep. Wow. Um, so uh, let's see. Oh, okay. So we lose the we lose the fuel cell, reduced to half power. Doctor Lair is propelled out of the heart and into the lungs, and our body probe follows, and we lose another quarter of its power in the process, or so down to twenty five percent. And and we find Doctor Lair in an air sac, being attacked by a white blood cell. Doctor, I've lost you. Where'd you go? I'm in an air sack. I need some help here. 
about being attacked by a white blood cell. <sighs> Which I, I this is a kid, like it was like I, he's I, tugging on her and pulling. I love right. It's got tentacles and it's like got two two tentacles and it's reaching <laughs> up on her. For a foreign body in the body. I mean <laughs> So how how accurate do, do, do white blood cells have tentacles? Because in Fantastic Voyage, it's kind of like you're being surrounded in order to get it. Do you know anything about the mechanism of how white blood cells actually work? Well, I think I think again a, a bit of a dramatization there. So you know, a lot of the pictures we see are uh, you know in in vitro pictures that are stained and they're flat. So you know, if you do see electron microscope um, pictures of of white blood cells, I think there is some movement but we're not we're not talking tentacles certainly not. <laughs> can you blast it with a space laser is that, a... <laughs> that that was frightening i i was i watched it again this afternoon and i was i was i'm a little shook still but um you know the other thing i wanted to mention is at some point we we leave the bloodstream and when we're, we're in the lungs we're actually floating through you know air air so you know they, they kind of gloss over that you know how did we how did we get out of the bloodstream and now we're suddenly in the, Ooh. you know, we're floating in the, in air. So. so answer me this doctor then, because if you're breathing in air, there are these little things in my, inside your lungs that capture that air and put them in. Those can't, re you, you would have to go through that or just bust through some capillaries in, into the lung, right? Yeah, I guess you 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 know obviously air air oxygen gets dissolved you know through a through a, a membrane and it, alveoli line the you know the bronchioles and things like that. So yeah, it's it, it's again there's a lot that's unexplained here. <laughs> I'm getting disappointed now. Like this, this is ruining my teenage years. You just, you just can't you just can't think too hard about it. No, no, just gotta take it for what it is. Fine. I think there's like some exhaust fumes from the uh, the ship in the lung. That can't be good for <laughs> no. anybody. No. <laughs> battery come on jt it's, oh it's, it is electric it's a tesla yeah it's a hover yeah. somehow okay yeah uh so captain braddock stuns the white blood cell with the laser i see you i'm gonna use the lasers to try and stun it hurry quick into the ship uh, and Dr. Laird joins us aboard. And I love this. She she lands on kind of the windscreen and like crawls up the window in order to get into a hatch at the top. Oh, does she? Yeah. Like hits the screen like uh, yeah. like like Chewbacca on Star Tours. Like now. Yeah. Uh-huh. Or like a bug and just boop. And then she kind of climbs up and uh, and, and, and but it, unfortunately, OK, here's a good little high tension again. The ship has lost too much energy to, to be beamed out. Control, I've got Dr. Lair. Braddock, you've used too much power. You can't beam out. We need an energy boost. Uh, yeah, we're at 10%. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I don't know why it takes energy for them to beam the ship out. Like, maybe there's some kind of locator beacon or something that they have to lock onto in order to... But anyways, we need the we need the energy. Otherwise, we're, we're dead. Well, We're let me go back to say uh, Elizabeth Shue jumped right in that cockpit. Nothing, nothing on her as far as like goo or, or, or blood. <laughs> she's not wet at all. No, she's yeah. clean. And I mean, instant too. It's like she just popped her helmet off. It was good to go. Yeah. Well, you know, if you've got Elizabeth Shue, you're not going to cover her with goo. Yeah, I guess that's true. It's, you don't do that to a star. Uh, anyways. Uh, all right. So uh, she gets the idea to get an energy boost 
from the brain's electrical impulses. The brain, it works on electrical impulse. How do we get there? Through that capillary. Okay, that's the, okay, that's our last stitch thing. We got to make it to the brain and, and pick up some electricity from the brain in order to recharge the batteries, get enough power, and then be able to get out. So, uh, amazingly, she knows exa exactly <laughs> where to go. She has been uh, picked up, tossed, thrown around, but somehow she actually has this mental map of of the entire of like circulatory system in her head and knows exactly where to go. So uh, she says, go through that capillary. So they go through the capillary. They go into the, um, the heart's left atrium. Now they've only got 5% power left. So Captain Braddock has no choice but to use the force of the beating heart to propel the ship forward to the brain. Okay, we're in the heart's left atrium. Braddock, your power is decreased to 5%. 5%. I'm going to use the heartbeat to propel us. So we slosh around for a moment, like waiting for everything to like, you know, come perfect. And then uh, we're pushed out of the heart. She, she tells him to make a hard right into the cerebral artery. And then we arrive above the brain in the spinal fluid. Okay, we're in the cerebral artery. It's taking us to the brain. We're just above the brain in the spinal fluid. And um, this section of uh, going through the heart the second time is where people used to puke. So that sloshing around, waiting mm -hmm. for the heartbeat to propel you out, that there was one particular move um, that, that people have described where the, um, where the ship was, I guess, tilted. The front left side was tilted up. And so it would be, so the rear right-hand corner is back, the front left-hand side is up. And yeah. then the whole thing tilted forward so that the left, the left front was then pointed down and the right rear was up. Oh, and so it almost twisted as it went. That yeah. was the move that would cause people to puke. Wow. And, and so a few months in, they completely edited out the second trip into the heart and you went from the lungs like straight into the bloodstream and up to the brain. And I guess I'm sure it took a while because you go through all of the bother to reprogram that. So they had a you know, they had to put in this weird um, kind of poorly done transition because I can't go refilm it all again. Right, right. So they had to they had to do this weird crossfade in order to hide that um, that change because um, it the way that the ride was done, much like Star Tours, it attempted to make it look like one continuous uh, shot as much as possible. So yeah, so that was that was the part that they changed. So we're up in the brain, we're uh, around the spinal fluid. We've got 2% power left and we have to very dramatically cross the blood brain barrier. Okay, we're in the heart's left atrium. Braddock, your power is decreased to 5%, 5%. I'm gonna use the heartbeat to propel us. And so I'm gonna ask, what what is the blood brain barrier? Well, the blood brain barrier is basically just like a specialized lining of cells that sort of protects the brain um, from infection. So certainly um, the, there are things that need to get through. So there's there's transporters within these cells that can get glucose through and things like that. But remarkably, the brain is uh, is safe from uh, lots of things that float in the blood that could cause it harm, whether it be 
um, you know, infection or large cells or medicines and things like that. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, you know, they're, they're, you have to be a certain size to be able to pass through the blood brain barrier, basically. Ah, all right. I'm feeling better about that splinter I got last week that it's not going <laughs> up to my head. <laughs> uh, and so we arrive, we get through the blood brain barrier, we get into the, the cerebral cortex, and then we kind of ease up next to a neuron. And uh, you, you see like all these neurons hanging down and sort of electricity sparking around. And uh, he releases the fuel cell shield in hopes that it'll act like a lightning rod. And they're just, we're just sitting there waiting, hoping that the synapse that we're next to fires. The cerebral cortex, we're inside the brain. I'm gonna deploy the fuel cell shield and hope it works like a lightning rod. Craddock, your power is gone. We can't get you out. Repeat, your power is gone. This neuron better fire. And I, I found out that um, they actually, um, they've measured like what the electrical charge is and it's one-tenth of a volt is what a synapse like actually puts out. So I'm assuming there must be some sort of electrical math going on when you're shrunk down. It's more powerful than you're like, I don't know if it runs off 120 or what, but, but uh, and I think the other, the other question would probably be amperage, you know, and voltage. So I, I don't know if one's measured the amperage, but somehow that gives the, uh, the ship enough electricity. Uh, and then we're beamed out of the body. And uh, oh, uh, and I found out that in the um, the synapses, I guess the um, the tunnels and the pores there—they're like the synapses are less than a hundred nanometers uh, from each other. So it's a pretty densely packed, I guess, area of the brain. Come on, hit the shield! Hit the shield! You have power. We did it. We're beaming you out. We're rescued. Uh, Mission Control tells us that we've broke every rule of the book, but we also pulled off the most spectacular mission the place <laughs> has ever seen, and we were the first to travel through the heart, lungs, and brain. Do you realize what we just did? I'll tell you what you did. You broke every regulation in the book. Control, we were the first to go through the heart, lungs, and brain. You also managed to pull off the most spectacular mission this place has ever seen. Congratulations. Thank you, Control. You know, an observation to somebody who had been on Star Tours as a kid, you know, I got excited about this. I knew it was the same simulator technology. I remember coming off of this and it's kind of being like bummed out. Like Star Tours just had more oomph to it. I still would always go on the ride, don't get me wrong. And I don't know, it was, uh, it, it was I think it was really neat for them to use a technology like that again. Um, and we've never seen it. You know, it's surprising Star Tours is still going. This is gone. Um, but surprising that 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 technology, I mean, it's, it's not exciting anymore because the screen is so small. If you put that technology kind of like what the Simpsons and Back to the Future ride used to be in, in, in Universal, where you've got that in a big screen, it could be really different. Um, but I think they're also, they, indu they you know, they induce the body to do things it shouldn't be doing too. <laughs> Seems to be very careful. Uh, I don't know. I, I, it's just my own personal recollection of it going on and being like, eh, yeah, I'll still go do it again. But I, I didn't feel like I white knuckled myself as much as I did on Star Tours at times. Yeah. You know what else is interesting is 
I remember when they opened Body Wars and Star Tours was under construction, there was always this rumor that like Met had insisted in the contract that like the that Wonders of Life and Body Wars had to be open for a year before Star Tours could open. Hmm. So that way people would want to go on Body Wars and wouldn't want to go on because every I mean, really, as kids, okay, every we wanted Star Tours. It's like we were aware of yeah. the Disneyland. Like that was a big deal to like, and it's Star Wars, Wars, right? You know, right? And, and and the title too, Body. Where the heck does that come from? You know, like, <laughs> is it is it trying to get? There was no war. <laughs> That's the thing. Is there was no fight, or was it the? I don't know. I don't know. Well, you're kind of you know. So that that um, as we said the last time, that name actually the head of Met uh, came up with that. Yeah, I think they were just looking for something, sh you know, short and sweet that at least sounded made it sound thrilling, rather could... than the incredible journey within. All right, Doctor, but tell me, would you think it would have been more exciting to fight some, you know, evil virus coming in and having lasers on the ship and being able to yeah, take I, them out? I, I don't. I, I think I think they did a fairly good job of you know okay. showing showing multiple settings, you know, making it you know because like you said, it could have just been you know going through one artery the whole trip and dark and you know lots of red blood cells obscuring your view <laughs> so we got to see the lungs we got to see the brains i mean i think yep. at, at this point there wasn't a lot of it wasn't really well known that there was like your body was one, run on electricity so i think it, it you know i think that was kind of a new concept for a lot of people looking it up so body wars opened on october 19th 1989 Star Tours allegedly opened on December 15th, 1989. So that was only a couple of months between mm. them. Not yeah. nearly a year at all. So um, so it appears like that rumor of the one-year contract would have been completely completely false. It was, it was good, right? It was still it's fun. No, I, I, I still enjoy it. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It was no Star Tours. But, I mean, who didn't want to blow up the Death Star? I mean, everybody wanted to be on the trench run. I mean, when... Yeah, I mean, legitimately, when Captain Rex says, "I've always wanted to do this," I mean, that is exactly yeah. what everybody <laughs> what was you're thinking was thinking on that ride. So. Yep, yep, no, hundred percent, hundred percent. So, a couple other quick fun facts. Uh, so, one of the miniaturization technicians was actually played by Leonard Nimoy's cousin Jeff Nimoy uh, in the pre-show. Um, Jeff had just moved to Los Angeles after graduating from NYU in their acting school. And he met uh, Leonard uh, at a party that I guess his aunt <laughs> had put together. And uh, Leonard said that promised Jeff that he would cast him in some role in his next film so that way he could get a SAG card. And it just so happened that Body Wars was the next thing that he directed. And so uh, Jeff Nimoy got a SAG card because he ran into his cousin <laughs> like at a party. <laughs> um, Look at that. You had a question about the um, the um, the actual footage of, of yeah, Body Wars. So that was so that was done at Industrial Light and Magic. Mm -hmm. um, it was directed by Dave Carson, who I believe also did Star Tours, um, and I believe that uh, so he storyboarded it, and then they produced a low resolution animatic using whatever three D graphics technology they had at the time. And I, and I think they did that supposedly so they could hand that off to Imagineers so they could begin programming the simulator while the final visual effects were being filmed so they could get kind of a head start on doing the programming. 
again, they, they got chosen to do this because they won an Academy Award for Inner Space. So it was, I mean, not only had they done Star Wars, but it was proven, oh, hey, we know how to do inside of the human body because right. we just did this two years ago and won an award for it. Um, one difference, though, it, Inner Space was done all practically. So, you know, they built big sets. And when they did their blood cells, they actually filled up tubes with water and had little tiny blood cells and like pushed them through so that way they could film that. And then I think they composited the ships in later so you could have that movement, but it was like real things whizzing by the camera. Um, when they did Body Wars, they actually used what was then kind of a novel idea and they did 3D graphics for the white blood cells. Um, so it was a combination of practical sets uh, 3D graphics and then um, miniatures for the for the body probes. Um, well, I guess you never see the body probe because you're in the body probe. But they do. There are a couple of shots of like the body probe, like as they're prepping it and getting it ready. So um, the um, when they did the interiors of the body, the crew created the largest motion control sets that the company had ever produced at that time. So the they built these things at an enormous scale, 40 40 feet wide and then had motion control cameras like going through them in order to, to make those moves that the, the body probe did. Uh, and as, as we've talked about, about, the motion control cameras are all computer controlled. So that way you can do multiple passes with different lighting and, and get the same, uh, the same exact shots over and over again. So that way you can composite together all this stuff. When I look at the footage, I'm really curious. Um, one thing I don't know for sure, to me, it looks almost as if some of the stuff is digitally composited rather than optically composited there's a certain uh i don't know i'm junkiness <laughs> to the compositing that is not typical of ilm at the time yeah uh it looks a lot i don't know it looks like video to me for some reason i don't know if that's just indicative of now that we've seen versions out on youtube um but there's something different about the motion that doesn't register to me like a movie. Uh, I don't know what frames per second the film was shot at. I know a lot of times at Epcot, it's like they shot things faster than 24 frames per second. Mm -hmm. So maybe it's just a higher frame rate, which made it look weird to me. Um, but it doesn't, it doesn't look as, to me, it does not look as good as Star Tours looks um, when I watch it back. And so, I don't know if anybody has any of those details. Please, uh, please let us know. So, uh, so that's Body Wars. Before we before we move on, we should probably mention about the motion simulator ride being probably the thing Michael Eisner got most excited about incorporating into the parks, which is why you got it at Star Tours in '87 in Disneyland, and then both of them opening in Florida in 1989. There's a couple of different books and articles written about it, but you know, like he went gaga when he first saw this technology. And I'm going to throw my own little memory from the late 80s on the boardwalk in Ocean City, New Jersey. Playland had uh, what I came to learn because of a theme park university article is called the Magic Motion Theater. And they really were mini body wars and star tours ride vehicles that were made available to malls and theme parks and all 
Well, you you'd actually put coins in them, and then the the <laughs> ride like the, the the a ride attendant would open the doors, and they'd load I don't know maybe eight people in or six people in, and they'd run a film of uh, the space shuttle taking off or of a one was a a ride at I forget if a roller coaster at Carowinds or Kings Island, and I always used to get the roller coaster one, uh, but it was the same experience as you know the screens in front of you and. You get into this enclosed vehicle and it felt like you were riding on the roller coaster, which in, you know, the 1980s blew young teenager me away. Uh, and I, they were apparently all over the country. So I wonder if other people had that experience and remember riding them where they were. Yeah, I can remember some really crude ones like when I was little and i don't i can't remember if it predates it but i remember there was this one rocket thing maybe at a county fair that was like a cylinder that you would walk in the back and sit down and it would it would raise up on a hydraulic uh arm arm pushing it up and then it could kind of just tilt left and right and they had some sort of space thing that they projected in front of you yeah yeah uh not as sophisticated as the the ones where where you could do the tilt and the yaw and the pitch and all all of the the you know six degrees of freedom right but yeah that was a that was kind of a big deal to be able to do those simulated things and it's certainly better than you know the predator i remember magic world in pigeon forge tennessee there was this ufo attraction where you would just sit down you'd crawl into you walk into a ufo and then they just had it on the screen in front of you there was no motion like in the seats, they were just they just projected <laughs> you like flying over stuff, and there were many many shots where you could actually see the shadow of the helicopter that it was that it was being filmed from, like on the ground in front of you. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Star Tours that was a I mean a very sophisticated uh, technology for the time, absolutely, and it's still it's still fun, it's still a lot of fun today, even still works, so many years yeah. later. Yep. It's crazy right. to think that this was, you know, the headliner for Epcot for a long time. I mean, it was on all the park maps and, you know, I, I know that was the ride we went to first. Um, oh, my gosh. And uh, all the TV, the TV stuff, when you would watch the, uh, you know, and get in, inside of the room and like watch stuff, Body Wars is pitched. Even I know we have a commercial on our um, uh, from, I think, whatever year that was, 89 or 90 that they ran during the. Uh, think after maelstrom opened on that special there's like and bloody wars and that was one of the big headlining <laughs> that was absolutely like the headlining attraction of epcot when that opened that that was the big deal and you know we talked before about like eisner you know tapping his his son as a teenager and like trying to get teens more excited about especially teen boys excited about stuff at disney because at the time there was kind of perception that it was for girls and younger girls so Giving teens something to be excited about there was a really big deal. So let's shift a little and let's talking about a, another movie with a, a non-moving theater uh, called The Making of Me. And I think if it was a moving theater, it'd be very interesting. <laughs> <laughs> so the issue of there was an issue of Eyes and Ears that was published just before the attraction opened, and they said that the film would be called It's Our Baby. And it was described as an emotion-filled motion picture telling the story of a young married couple and the development and birth of their child. And I don't think that's actually 
what uh, what what we got. I mean, it's kind of along those lines, uh, but really, uh, what I guess kind of happened was uh, Michael Eisner had watched this episode of the television show Novo on PBS called "The Miracle of Life." Um, and we know it was originally aired on September on February fifteenth, nineteen eighty-three. Uh, it probably re-ran again, but he was just crazy about this uh, this footage that was shot by a Swedish photographer, cinematographer named uh, Lenhart Nielsen. He did this incredible in utero photography of developing fetuses. I mean, again, I don't know how you like this, but like this photography that he did was gorgeous and they built this PBS special around it. Um, you know, I think he shot like five or six minutes worth of different times and you, it was really the first time that people had seen you know what a developing fetus looks like and so eisner's idea is like let's we got to get that footage let's use that but then let's wrap a story around it so that way there's more of a human element that's attached to it so we can show people this great stuff um but we can also make it entertaining um and apparently uh he had uh he had assigned some other directors and writers to this. Uh, and much like, you know, Jerry Reese coming in, taking over Cranium Command, uh, the people that he had tried to do this, like, just weren't working out. Like, whatever they were doing was not blending and being entertaining uh, enough. And so he finally turned this attraction into what ended up being a, a reunion for the crew of Moonlighting, ABC show with uh, Bruce Willis and Sybil, Sybil Shepard. The entirety of the crew from that show ended up working on this movie. So it was written and directed by Glenn Gordon Karen, who was the creator of Moonlighting, produced by Jane Daniel, who used the same art director, James J. Agassi, same film editor, Philip Neil Carneal, and the same, even the same construction coordinator on the sets, uh, John Kersey. And what I'm, what I think I've been able to figure out is that um, Moonlighting in its last season was kind of in trouble. And so the last episode of Moonlight, I mean, first of all, Bruce Willis had turned into a giant star. So like he was not really interested in perpetuating the show anymore. And I guess he and Sybil Shepard were like actually fighting in real life. They hated each other. And so the show after four seasons was was coming to a conclusion. Um, so the last episode of Moonlighting aired on May 14th, 1989. Wonders of Life opened on October 19th. Um, but The Making of Me didn't open until October 30th. And uh, they, I think there was a quote in the Disney News uh, that like it was... Uh, finished virtually at the last possible instant. So it was basically done in about four months. <laughs> so they, I, I think what happened is Moonlighting must have wound down and who knows, Michael Eisner had his way with, with the ABC people and he might've said like, hey, we need this thing done. You guys just wrapped Moonlighting. It's like, let's just take your crew and have you do this movie over here. And, you know, Moonlighting was a hit show so it would make sense to like get the people that had worked on that to work on this because it was it was really good. Um, but I, I found potentially another connection. So there was an episode of the show that was shot and aired on December 6, 1988 called A Womb with a View. 
And it was about an angel having a conversation with the in utero baby conceived by the show's lead characters, David Addison and Maddie Hayes. There's all kinds of sort of similarities, not only with that, but also with uh, with um, things that would end up in um, uh, in uh, oh shoot uh, the one Jerry did uh, Cranium Command because there's so like Bruce Willis is in kind of just like this big black set like in a giant bed. And then at some point there's like giant hamburgers as they're eat as the characters are eating, like a giant hamburger comes <laughs> down past him, like real <laughs> built giant. And so uh, I think if you watched that episode and you're looking for somebody that could work with this, you would probably say like, oh yeah, that that guy, they can totally do that. We, we've done this already. I, I think we can make this happen. So, um, so let's start talking about, uh, let's start talking about the movie. research than I did Bill on this so I did we'll, we'll kind of shoot back and forth but jump in here as as we talk about this because we we sat down and we, we watched it independently and then when we got together to chat about it, it's like we noticed a lot of the same things and there's some really um, some really kind of funny stuff in there um, so first Martin play Martin Short plays his own dad like you see see Martin Short and he is like I think the it starts off with his him being born uh, like in a hospital in the 1940s. And then he kind of describes like, oh, how did I get here? And all this stuff. They end up kind of going back in time and he starts to talk about how his parents got together. That's my dad. <laughs> well, we'll be. Everyone's pretty excited. I know I am. Of course, no one sees me. I'm a long way from having Long way. In fact, my mother hasn't even been born yet. And the first first thing they do is a sequence where the mom and dad are at a college dance in 1947. And my God, if this isn't ripped out of Back to the Future, I, I, I don't know what is. It is so reminiscent of when Marty's parents meet at the Enchantment Under the Sea dance. Because they're there with separate dates, and then they see each other, you know, across the room, and fall in love. Is that? Yeah, yeah. It was. Uh, it was pretty much note for note. Uh, Back to the Future. <laughs> yeah. So I guess if it works, you know, don't break it. And then Martin Short, he, you know, he they get married. The parents get married. Martin Short looks at the audience and he says, "Okay, mom and dad have met." Mom and dad have married, and now mom and dad want to have a baby. Huh? Wait a second. And the parents, like, actually turn and acknowledge the camera, break the fourth wall, and say no. And then they go on and do all of these things, you know, that a young married couple might do. Like, they water ski, they uh, enter a dance competition, and all this time, Martin Short is like on screen saying, and like, and now you're going to do it. And they're like, no. And then they go on to the next thing. So there's this really funny back and forth. 
You mean you'd rather do this than have me? You mean they'd rather do this than have me? The parents finally get down to business, and then the camera kind of like pans up through the roof, and then Martin Short begins to deliver this, his talk. You're probably wondering what I'm doing up here instead of down there. Remember the sperm we said my dad had and the egg we said my mom had? Well, getting the sperm and the egg together is one of the great miracles of life. It's also one of those things that people like to do in private. I mean, most people don't even like to talk about it. It makes them nervous. Some people laugh. Others tell jokes. Lots of people just avoid the subject altogether. But the truth is, when two people are in love, one of the loveliest things they can do is be as close together as possible. They might kiss. They might hug. Another way that mature adults express their love for each other is to get so close that the man's sperm actually enters the woman's body. How this happens is is truly one of the great, grand secrets we share as human beings. In fact, the first time it's explained to us, it always seems incredible or unbelievable. But believe it or not, all of us, everyone who's ever been born, came into being because their parents made love, allowing the sperm and the egg to meet. Everyone that is except me. I mean. I haven't been born yet, <laughs> have I? It's interesting. They skirt around a lot of the terminology that's used, um, and they say you know baby making parts as opposed to any kind of anatomic feature. So um, it, it's you know it's definitely the Disney version of the the birds and the bees for sure. Yeah, <laughs> it's almost too sanitized where you don't even know what's going on if you if you don't get it. The beginning, he he does this. You know, he talks about like, it's so vague. He's like, when two people love each other, they get close and like, so very close that like, <laughs> that things this, happen, that this thing happens, like, somehow it's proximity. That is the, uh, obviously, especially at that time with, with the audience and it being Disney, it's like, they weren't comfortable getting into the mechanics of it. And you never know how, the you know how much your audience is like has told the kids about the birds and the bees and whether they want to do that. So yeah, they were very, uh, I don't know, very, very vague about it. Then they cut to, uh, an animated segment, which, uh, was actually done, I think by Croyer animation. What's going on? Haven't you heard? It's the big race. First one to find the egg gets to make a baby. And the rest of us, and what's interesting is that uh, there's quite a few people that end up being very important to Disney and Pixar who worked on this. So Ralph Eggleston animated it. He ended up being uh, a really key art director and like, especially for color uh, for Pixar. So he worked on Toy Story, doing storyboards, and then he ended up doing like color mood boards for tons and tons of their movies. Tody Fusely was an animator. He did um, a bunch of work for Brad Bird on like Iron Giant and then later on in The Incredibles. Um, Bill Croyer and Susan Croyer, who owned uh, Croyer Animation, uh, they worked on it. So they they outsourced that one segment to them. But uh, much like um, 
Pete, um, doctor working on, you know, the animation for, uh, um, for Cranium Command for that pre-show, it's like, there were a bunch of people that worked on this, uh, even though it was a third party company that ended up being huge and important in the industry. Uh, so it, it kind of has like a 1950s feel to it. So the, the, the sperm, like, uh, going to the fallopian tube up and left and, uh, it's, it's just this real funny kind of 1950s thing where the sperm are racing each other and there's the egg like on its couch, like waiting for them. And there's a finish line banner, a bunch of the sperm get diverted and go the wrong way. And then like a few of them are trying to get there, but they, instead of like going, breaking through the banner, it's like they hit the banner and bounce off of it. The egg is like making a big kissy face, like waiting excitedly for the sperm to show up. And then it's exactly how I envisioned all this. When it does, there's like a big cartoon explosion. (laughs) And yeah, so it's it's just uh, really, really silly. And then I think while she's pregnant, they they kind of like casually drop in this message about how smoking affects unborn babies. They're watching a movie. The parents are watching a movie in the movie theater while she's pregnant and someone sits down and starts smoking next to them and they, they get up and and leave, which I thought was an interesting little because at the time, I don't know if people even considered, you know, the hazards of smoking and pregnancy. So this would have been in probably. Well, we know exactly when it is because the poster on the theater was what? 40,000 leagues. Yeah. So 54, 54. Yeah. So hard, hard, uh, hard set at that time. Wait a second. What's that? Smoke? My mom wouldn't smoke while she was pregnant with me. Would she? She's got to know smoking, drinking, taking drugs. Those are all bad for little sprites like me. So eventually he's born. They actually did kind of very cleverly use like real birth footage in in the sequence which i think was kind of another undone thing at that point because usually when you see babies born on television you know they're like five six months old and they throw a little goop on them but they're mostly clean and i i remember seeing this movie trying to remember what age i would have been eight 17 18 or something and the baby comes out and it's blue and you're like what is that because you've never seen anything depicted like that realistically before we were watching some show recently oh what was it yeah and they had they had the baby in in the sitcom and just like you said like that's baby's like nine months old you know (laughs) it's got hair it's smoking a cigar (laughs) right 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 and it was different babies in every shot it was it was so bad i can't remember what show it was but yeah it's pretty funny but it was it was and i think we were trying to figure out the the baby is born with like natural childbirth and i I think we're trying to determine like when that actually became popular because at some point they used to just knock out the moms completely like the dad would go into the dad would go into the waiting room and he would wait, you know, for the baby to the, be born He'd be and pacing with his box of cigars and waiting. Cigars, exactly. And but they they depict this with like the dad in the room with them in 1955, which probably doesn't sound certainly not typical. No. <laughs> yeah, for that well, time period. Or if you were my dad. And the Flyers were playing game one of the Stanley Cup finals. 
uh, he would make my mother wait until the end of the second period to take her to the hospital <laughs> when she had gone into labor because he didn't didn't want to miss any of the game. And so he's born. And then uh, there's a change. Then there's a girl addressing the camera. And I think it's supposed to be Martin Short's like future wife was also in the maternity ward era yeah at the same time like as a baby and setting up that they would meet eventually and then he would start a family of his own it happens to everyone one day you're walking down the street and you think to yourself where did i come from how did i get here was it like being born but it was a you know about eight nine minute film like very cute but um but Really, the star of the show was this uh, in utero footage, and the whole thing was built around that. So I'm I, I'm sure for people it was kind of jaw dropping. I know it was for me at the I, time. I have to say, I remember my mother had a book in the 70s and 80s somewhere that had, I think, had that photography on the cover. Oh, okay. A very famous picture of the hand and the fetus and the the face oh my gosh i'm wonder i'm really wondering if it's the same thing it was re- really amazing footage it still looks great today i managed to, yeah. s- to see some of it on on uh youtube i think the nova show is, is and it still looks fantastic yeah yeah um the walt disney world company thanks you for joining us for the making of me please gather your personal belongings and take small children by the hand and stand and turn to your left and exit to your left only through the doors at the rear of the theater. Again, that's exit to your left only. And for your safety, please do not cross over the purple benches. Thank you and have a wonderful day at Epcot. Goodbye, everybody. Disney had a lot of concerns uh, about the depiction of human life before birth during that time because in 89, the abortion debate was simmering just exactly like it is today. Uh, and there's uh, many quotes in newspaper articles at the time with Barry Braverman, and he says, I think it'll elicit some controversy, but our intent is not to walk into the teeth of that issue. So a lot of even newspaper reporters were bringing up to them, like, you know, how are you going to suss this with the debate about abortion? And he's like, you know, I, I think we will be okay. Because uh, as of now, there was, you know, debates even then about when does life start, what's appropriate, and... Uh, they were trying to avoid getting protested about since uh, that was a huge issue for Disney even back then when they started to give, uh, you know, health benefits to like partners uh, back then, which Eisner said was the right thing to do. So uh, they're, you know, Disney was trying to avoid controversy as much as possible, but it ended up being, you know, a very, when I'm going back and watching this on YouTube, it's like the parts that were funny really hit with the crowd it's like you can you can really hear the crowd laugh at the dialogue it was very enjoyable i think it did a great job showing you know what uh showing this beautiful photography and uh you know just kind of really set the stage for for um for for showing what really is like one of the coolest experiences that you can have you know as a as a parent is like watching you know, this, your child being born. It is, it is, I think the most profound experience that I've certainly ever had. Uh, you know, Todd, JT, what you went through this too. I mean, tell, tell, tell me if I'm wrong or if you feel differently, but I, it's one of those things that I, I don't think you can ever forget. No, you can't. And it's, uh, 
I think it's it's hard if you're not a parent to appreciate it, but also more so how how, how hard it is to convey that emotion and that life event in a film, in a theme park, in a theater with screaming kids and other things going on. So it takes a, a talented filmmaker to do that. And even then it's very, very I expected so much more in childbirth. I always tell people, you know, it was just like, it happened so fast and you're like, wait, that was it. Like I expected, you know, some robot to come in and help and, you know, all sorts of crazy (laughs) medical stuff to go on. And like, literally they just folded this sweet, bright light out of the ceiling. I go, that's what it is. That that's it. Like it just, it wasn't, I don't know. It's, you expected way more drama, I guess, than, you know, after you saw it in movies and all that stuff. So they, uh, I, I always tell everybody at work though, I would say, Hey, you're pregnant and you're uh you know something happens i want to drive you because to me that's the most free pass to speed <laughs> i got the <laughs> just i'm ready <laughs> my wife my wife's water broke and she she's in the bath she goes all right well the water broke are the shrimp done yet i'm like no she's like let's eat them first because i'm not going to be eating well for a few days so we finished the shrimp had dinner then we went to the hospital we knew we had some time yeah, you always think that it's going to happen right away, and it's a process. I still get uh, yelled at because I was taking a nap on the couch. I'm like, well, we we had like 12 hours to wait. I go, you know, I got to get ready. I got to, you know, build up that sleep time. But That's right. That's right. Dr. Bill, do you have any thoughts to kind of wrap up our, our trip through the wonders of life here? Um, You know, uh, JT asked on the previous episode, he wondered if it inspired anybody to become a doctor. You know, I think Wonders of Life was a was a fun and uh, you know humorous pavilion. It just did, I didn't find it quite as inspiring as the other Future World attractions. I guess um, you know it didn't inspire me necessarily, but um, I, you know I found it to be um, you know it, 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 you've also mentioned how it was just kind of the perfect microcosm of the of the 90s it was it was so much different than anything else that was in epcot at the time all right so i have to agree with you there too that the the inspiration you got from it was very very different i think i was more inspired by walking under the arch and up the winding pathway and going into the dome and going oh wow that's really cool and then i mean i don't know we're, we're going to talk about buzzy he inspired me a little bit i suppose that was that was fun but that's the for another yeah, I, time I think the overall of it to me was like, uh, you know, it just, it got you thinking about that stuff. That that was it for me as a kid, you know, you being active and doing things and then you got into the human body and all that. I mean, not that that's like inspiring, you know, if you're an active or not active person, but you know, it, it was something that was just, it was different for the time. And that kind of fit the Epcot mold. In my opinion, it was, it was different. It wasn't a dark ride. It was just, it was, it was weird. <laughs> Yeah. And, and there's such breadth to the topics that they were trying to cover. You know, it's, it's, you know, with some things, pavilions like, Oh, it's space. Okay, great. There's some space stuff, but like there were, there are so many different facets to health and wellness and, you know, pregnancy and birth and, uh, you know, mental health. And there's obviously a lot of ground to, to try to cover uh, with one pavilion. So I think it was hard to be laser focused on, on one thing or another, as much as some other stuff was like communication. All right. Well, there's, there's kind of a linear story to communication. (laughs) Uh, you know, we start here and we end here, uh, with, with, with health and, uh, in human development, there's, there's so, so many ways that you can go and so many things that you can show. Uh, it's, you're really just kind of giving people a taste 
of many different things. And then it would be up to them to, you know, pursue whatever that they were interested in particular um, to go forward. What's what's comical, though, can you even imagine Disney doing something like this now? <laughs> it would, I don't think it would ever happen. It w- nothing similar at all. Not into the, I mean, look, we're living in a world where people don't even want to teach certain things. That may not be one that what they want to teach. <laughs> I, know, I just so. imagine a pavilion that had, I mean, there was no, no movie connect. Well, Goofy was in there, I guess, but uh, yeah. I mean, just a, it's just, it's just different. I mean, they, they have wide world of sports pavilion, but that's not really anything related like this where you're, you're teaching anything. There's, there's just nothing like this. And I don't think there ever will be. Yeah. I, I suspect you could squeeze an inside out uh reference in there yeah that that could be something i'm trying to think of any other like that more over at imagination you don't know you know well no because again i mean that film you know as lovely it is is like one of the most saddest experiences Mm. i ever had because you know you're watching this 14 year old like it's a horrible movie i hated it her struggling with uh yeah her mental health at the time just like i felt I mean, it was, it's a, it's a movie that I thoroughly enjoyed that I absolutely never want to see again as long as I live. Yeah. Cause it was just, uh, I was an emotional wreck through the entire thing. But as, as, I mean, you could certainly use the, um, you know, the joy and all those, like, again, in a very similar show to Cranium Command, it's like you could go back and, and redo that and, and, you know, talk about mental health in a, in a new way using those same characters and that would be you know absolutely uh fine and i'm sure they would figure out some some way to make it fun Uh, i'm always amazed they have uh i mean they get like you know a hundred thousand runners for marathon weekend and that's great and that's fine but like they never really do any form of tie-in with that not saying they, Mm. they they would have to but i mean a lot of people that do that sort of stuff and there's just it's like one weekend uh you know every three four months and that's it there's nothing in the parks actually ever tied in. right well and there's certainly a captive audience of sports enthusiasts who would be very interested potentially in you know learning more about how to unlock their body's potential by the same token there is a uh a constituency out there that rejects uh the traditional health messages uh, as you saw when they had, what was the one in uh, Communicore that they put out there oh, that yeah. was called Health ha- Habit ha- Habit Warriors? Or Habit, Habit, Habit Heroes. Heroes. Habit Heroes. And they were like, oh, you're shaming fat people. And yeah, yeah that's, that's and, changed and now. So like the they, yeah, it's, there's, a, there's a whole different, you know, and there's nothing, nothing in, in uh, Wonders of Life that was not scientifically accurate in terms of the information it was attempting to convey uh but there's just uh a constituency out there that thinks i mean yeah i'm talking as a fat guy you know uh that there's there's a constituency out there that like raises their flag like i have a right to be out of shape well i don't think anybody's questioning your right to be out of shape but it doesn't change the science of the best things for you are X, Y, and Z in terms of diet and exercise. And right. Uh, yeah, well, yeah. It's you almost think Disney's not gonna they're not gonna touch it with a 10-foot pole nowadays. Not anymore. You know, it's and they they didn't even do Habit Heroes, really. Wasn't that like an outside company and a, a big tie-in and like 
I mean, it was their park yeah, and their thing, yeah. but that was that was that was interesting how that didn't hit. <laughs> yeah, I think that was sponsor driven. I don't remember who was it, Humana or Yeah, I think it was one of the insurance companies that mm-hmm. uh that that sponsored it. And again, I mean it was fairly uncontroversial, but you know, it made headlines for the wrong reasons. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's just it's just easier to make a Moana's wonderful world of water or whatever they're doing and <laughs> avoid avoid uh avoid the noise. Nobody's got a problem with water. I was gonna say no, no yeah. The, <laughs> that's because you've never it's asked the, everything the, pulled the uh, wicked witch of the west constituency i bet they're not thrilled about the water attraction <laughs> they're gonna steer clear of that or, or, or the or the, or the mogwai constituency i mean well how i appreciate you taking us through the wonders of life and through by i know we're not done we have more and uh dr bill thank you very much for sitting in and your your insight um i don't i believe you are the first person to say uh a dermis uh, on this show, which is great, and, and give us a, you know, and how might be the first to say nanometer. So we're definitely uh, breaking new grounds here. But um, as always, how you came up with some T-shirts uh, regarding Wonders of Life that were posted to our web shop the other day. Yes, we have. I'm really trying to work hard to do some Wonders of Life stuff because I know it has a a lot of fond memories for people. So I'm trying to I'm trying to think we did. I started with, I think I'll do three and then I ended up doing five. So you did five. Yes. Yes. You did. Uh, so we got general knowledge, general knowledge. Yep. Saying, what do you think this is? Disney world. And then, uh, uh, you have the legion of the left lobe. That's right. There was, so in the pre-show there was, uh, metals that were hanging on, on the wall. And so I've taken the, that reproduced that metal and, and made it sort of like the pocket size. As if you were actually wearing the medal that you belong to the Legion of Left Lobe. Uh, so that's Bill. Okay. As yep. also the uh, the garbage can, mm-hmm. the garbage cans outside Wonder uh, Wonders of Life had this very so interesting, 90s. so yeah, 90s. very nineties, like just a color field with like triangles and uh, squares and circles of different colors overlapping each other. Uh, it's okay as a t-shirt really where i think it shines is as a phone case i just mm-hmm. about to say that's a cool phone case a pretty cool coffee mug yeah yeah uh and then um a pillow too that's a nice looking pillow. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh pure and simple limit i'm sorry uh not pure and i'm gonna do a pure and simple have an appearance of that uh well and goods limited the uh the store there it's like i've remixed their logo and uh and turned that into a super 90s uh looking uh looking design to celebrate that and then that's four you did the x-ray goofy x-ray goofy oh that's right the x-ray goofy from in front of goofy uh goofy about health which is great so, too that's that's a wonderful looking one so, so uh a lot more to come I'm, I'm working on reproducing some of the early uh cast member uh, shirts that they wore so that's that's going to be the next one oh, awesome. and then also the uh track suit that was available for sale <laughs> the uh the logo that was on that one so could you just get so, one yeah. with a splinter on it is that okay Can we get that yeah. <laughs> magnified splinter we should just sell a giant you know our next christmas ornament could be like a giant splinter with like a little tiny dr lair on it <laughs> exactly a photo of retro magic just a big old prop like yeah we'll bring elizabeth shoe she could sit next to it <laughs> they got the swan they got the splinter <laughs> 
Well, Hal, thank you very much for your artwork. But uh, so thank you to all of our listeners, as always. Um, we are, as we said at the top, we probably got more wonders of life to do. We actually have another episode already recorded. It's an interview. We've got to talk about uh, everybody's favorite cranium command. And that's how we will wrap this up. I'm not sure if we're going there next month. The holiday season is coming up. Brian has been pouring through. I gave him a list of about, I don't know what we have, Brian, about 30 different holiday specials dating back to the 80s that we recently acquired, we're, which we're is We're going to revisit some of the uh, holiday specials and yeah. some holiday activities at the, at the parks and resorts. So, and it's going to be uh, a, a merry and bright time for all. There we go. So we'll be getting that out to you. Uh, as you pick up and listen to this one, uh, that holiday special episode should be coming out mid-December sometime. So that's our plan. We should do a holiday movie night. Well, we, we could we uh, with all these. I mean, we could just sit there and turn the projector on later on for twelve hours if you want. We can go to bed. But uh, well, you know, the, all the, night, all night affair there. As I try to meter out the, the the workload for our for our crew here, JT, I had the same idea that at some point in December. Uh, or late November, we need to do a, uh, a movie night that is themed because it gives me an opportunity to go and do about 30 minutes of holiday-related commercials for our pre-roll, which oh, yeah. is, uh, is a big fun thing for me. And uh, and we do have a, a metric ton of holiday stuff to share, so should be a lot of fun. Should, it should. So. All right. Well, and Dr. Bill, thank you again for joining us. Um, we really appreciate you joining. I, I thank you for your donation and yeah, uh, thank obviously you. sitting in on this. We really appreciate it. I, I hope it was fun for you. And, um, you know, if you, hopefully you'll get out of there at the hospital without people say, Dr. Can, can you come over here real quick? So he's still secluded here in the, in the secret office. Well, thanks for having me. It's been a lot of fun. Awesome. I we super appreciate it. And uh, if, I know if anybody know. stops you, just say I'm being sucked into a capillary. That's <laughs> <laughs> good. Oh, Good man. Line. Exactly. I don't know how. Maybe we could make some uh, light green t shirts with, you know, Dr. Bill's logo on there, right? And we're going to walk around like a, like a doctor, like <laughs> put the mask on. <laughs> so. All right. Well, as always, thank you to our listeners. If you can give us a shout out on iTunes or whatever your favorite podcast uh, app is. And actually some big news on that. Just tonight, JT has set us up on Amazon Music. So another location you can find us. And we can say, Alexa, play the Retro Disney World podcast. Oh, so I got to try that now. <laughs> hopefully I just set off a lot of Alexas around there, <laughs> around the world. But uh, again, thanks very much for listening. We'll be back with episode 80 next month. And with that, Brian, take us out. Follow the Lake Buena Vista Historical Society on Twitter and Instagram at LBV History and on the web at lbvhistory.org. For all things Retro Disney World, including exclusive merchandise, visit us on the web at retrowdw.com and on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at retrowdw. And follow our hosts, Todd McCartney, on Twitter at wdwms. Hal Bowers on Twitter and Instagram at GoAwayGreen. JT Couser on Twitter at LS1JT and on YouTube at Rubber City Motoring and on the web at RubberCityMotoring.com. And you can find me on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Brian P. Miles. 
Retro Disney World is the monthly podcast of the Lake Buena Vista Historical Society, a nonpartisan, nonprofit, tax exempt 501c3 organization, and is not affiliated in any way with the Walt Disney Corporation or any of its subsidiary or affiliated entities. Uh, folks, you can unlatch your safety belt by pushing the button on your left. Please exit the ship to your right. Don't forget your personal belongings. Oh, and welcome home.